0: Apple
1: presents events at the Apple Store.
0: Let's watch the trailer for The World's End.
1: And we're back. Just like the five musketeers.
2: Three musketeers, isn't it? Well, nobody knows how many there were, really, do they? You know that the three musketeers is a fiction,
3: right? written by Alexander Dumas?
2: A lot of people are saying that about the Bible these days. What, that it was written by Alexander Dumas? <laughs> Don't be daft, Steve. It was written by Jesus. Were we there yeah? Let's do that! They haven't seen each other in 20 years. I'm free to do what I want. But tonight, they're returning to their hometown to finish the ultimate bar crawl. This is our chance to finally conquer the golden mile. 12 pubs, 12 pints. And this time, they're going to make it to the last bar, the world's end.
1: Let's go! Come on.
2: What do you recommend? Beer. Yeah. We'll have five of those, please. Four of those, and a tap water. What?
1: Who it is. Wow, long time, Gary.
2: Common, well common, the avenue, welcome.
1: It's weird, isn't it? You come back and everything's sort of different.
2: I suggest you get on your way. Welcome home, boys. It's not us that's changed. It's the It's all right. I'm not trying to have sex with you. There's something I need to tell you right now. Unless you do want to have sex, in which case I'll tell you afterwards.
1: Tell me right now. What What did he say, sir? Newton Haven has been taken
2: over by robots. Did you believe him? We should head back to London. A. We're all drunk. B. We've got blood on our hands. It's more like ink. We've got ink on our hands. Ah! From the creators of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Let's
1: climb down the drainpipe.
2: i got a better idea. Climb down the drain pipe. (laughs) The only way to survive the night is to make it all the way to the world's end. Where are the others? They're blending in. Hello, I am a robot. (laughs) We're just five friends, on a night out. (laughs) Having a good time. (laughs) The world's end.
1: What the hell is that?
2: we are going to get to the world's end if it kills us. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest moderator for this evening, David Fear from Time Out New York, and our special guests, Nick Frost and Edgar
2: Wright. Hello, hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Hello. Thanks for coming uh yeah thanks for coming uh
0: thank you guys congratulations on the movie i actually envy you guys if you have not seen this this is uh absolutely amazing how, i'm not sure how much we should talk about though given that there are a couple of major reveals in this film when you guys talk about this movie so far like what what are you what are you willing to tell people and not tell people
3: um i think we could tell people that we don't wimp out on the title of the movie um But uh, you know, like I think, sort of like uh, you know, uh, if you think that you you know everything from that trailer, then there's a lot of extra surprises in the movie. So we've done our best to kind of keep a lot of cards to ourselves, and I think you'll get a um, a kick out of some of the twists and turns and the denouement of the movie. So um, it's quite tricky, like you know, doing a trailer for a movie like this without giving too much away. But I don't think we could have ever done a Shaun of the Dead trailer without zombies in it. So.
2: (laughs) The film is actually 107 minutes longer than the trailer. (laughs) So we haven't given it it, it all away.
3: Although, weirdly, it is just a loop of the trailer for 107 minutes.
0: It's 105 minutes of Nick on a golf course, right? Yes. That's a good film, right? That would (laughs) be Nick's dream movie. That's my next film. Uh, The genesis of this came when you were making Hot Fuzz, right? You were back in your hometown filming this. Go ahead and walk us through this.
3: There was a couple of things that inspired the movie. Um... One of them was that, yeah, Hot Fuzz was shot in my hometown, and uh, in the script of Hot Fuzz, it was very much like the the town described Sanford. It was like a very um, idyllic, pastoral, beautiful, timeless place, and yet when we went to shoot there, since I'd been away, there was like a McDonald's and a Starbucks in the high street, so we actually ended up digitally erasing... um, those chains from the movie. So I think that always stuck at me that like, um, what I had imagined my hometown was like, and what the reality of what it was like now were two different things. And that's something that Simon's character, Gary King in the movie, like really romanticizes his hometown. And then when they actually go back on this pub crawl 20 years later, it's changed. But like in the movie, there's a reason it's changed. Um, So that was one of the inspirations. And the other one was that I had done a pub crawl when I was a teenager. And in fact, I had a written a script about it, um, about teenagers going drinking when I was 21. And um, I never did anything with it, but then whilst we were promoting Hot Fuzz, I started thinking about it again. I thought, oh, maybe there's something more interesting in the idea of um, uh, adults trying to recreate something from their teenage years. which And, and the idea about uh, trying to recapture your former glories can be a very dangerous thing to do.
0: Especially if you're still stuck in that sort of time warp, which I would argue that Simon Pegg's character... Let's just say he hasn't quite moved on yet, shall we say. Yeah, he still wants to be 18. He hasn't moved on at all. (laughs) Uh, We're going to go ahead and watch a real quick clip here. (laughs) And uh, I'm not sure if this film made me want to go to a pub and drink a whole bunch or never have another drink again. And when you guys see this next clip, I think you'll, you'll know why. Let's go
2: ahead and roll the clip. We had ourselves a little idea, as you know. Yeah, we're going to go back to Newton Haven. Why? For some unfinished business. That's a joke, right? Five guys, 12 pubs, 50 pints. 60 pints. (laughs) Steady on your fucking alky. I haven't had a drink for 16 years, Gary. You must be thirsty then. But we can go back, see the guys, chew the fat, and it'll be just like it always was. Except this time, we are going to finish this thing once and for all. You have a very selective memory, Gary. Thanks. You remember the Friday nights. I remember the Monday mornings. Yeah, that's why we're going back on a Friday. Uh, <sighs> why do you think none of us live in Newton Haven anymore? I don't know. Because it is a black hole. It's boring. It always was, and it always will be. It's only boring because we're not there. It's pointless arguing with you. Exactly. So come. The late, great Simon Peck.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who sadly died today when he slipped on a BlackBerry.
0: <laughs> if he had an You're iPhone, that would not <laughs> have no happened. <laughs> uh, did you pitch this idea to Simon after you had been sort of mulling over it? And did you guys write the character
3: of Andy with Nick in mind? Oh, um, yeah. We, I mean, I, I literally came up with the, the, the brainwave for the story on a plane... It going from Wellington to Sydney when we were promoting Hot Fuzz. And as soon as we touched down, I over to Simon said, I've got an idea. And we started talking about it right there and then. And I remember being at the baggage carousel in Sydney, still talking about it. And I think the next part kind of came, like, once we realized that, like, um, what we wanted Simon's character to be, it made sense after sort of Nick playing, like, sort of, you know, slightly goofier kind of part in Hot Fuzz. Sure. And, uh, you know, a, a, a much more irresponsible part in *John of the Dead. Yeah. That, um, that it would be great to kind of reflect a different side of Nick. And I, I always like to say that Nick's performance in this movie, at least for the first kind of half of the movie, is uh, the angry Nick Foss that I see on the phone to a bank. Or like t- <laughs> or, or like tech support or something. Yeah. Not I, Apple. It re- no, Apple's
2: actually very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I have to talk to a bank... Uh, there's there's a company at home called Pay by Phone Parking, and you pull up somewhere and you text your location, and then there's like a long message, and it you know but bear in mind they they could be charging me eight pound an hour like twelve dollars an hour to park, and then it says just before it hangs up on you it says you have been charged a ten pence service charge. So like, what's that for? Why why have you done? I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting mad now thinking about it. So that, you know, that was, my, that was my motivation for Andy. I
3: feel like Andy just stepped into the room right there and sat down. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you once destroy your phone?
2: I did. I was on the phone to Vodafone once.
3: Which is a provider uh, in the UK. Yeah.
2: And uh, if ever I hear someone, like a human being, saying something to me like, I'm afraid we can't help you at this time, sir. I'm afraid we can't help you at this time, sir. What, I mean, I think what I hear is, go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and it got to, got to a point where I was so angry, I actually... Uh, just, I snapped my phone in in half with great the kind of strength that a man finds to pull a car off of his son. <laughs> uh, and I snapped it. I snapped it in two, and then I put it in a jiffy bag and sent it to them.
1: <laughs> so
2: that that's where Andy Knightley lives. And you
0: charge them a ten pence service. A service charge, yeah. Uh, when when they present you with this in a what I'm sure is like a gold or a silver platter, and they're like, "Here is your script. Here is your part, sir." Uh, do you basically give them feedback at that point? Or are you basically like, all right, I get this.
2: You know, when do I well, show up? I think originally the studio were pushing for Kevin James to do this role. But then uh, whole obviously movie. he got Welcome to the Boom and just <laughs> he couldn't do here, it. Here,
3: comes the, here comes
2: the Boom. I think Welcome to the Boom is a better title. <laughs>
3: That's uh, the sequel.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the first person to see the script and then I, I go away in my role of as executive producer and, and note the whole script. Um, and then I give it back to them. They completely ignore it, and we plough on. That's not <laughs> true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we all sit, we all sit in a room together for three or four days, and we go through the notes page by page, and changes are made or there not.
3: Is, there is a major like um, plot point that you came up with, which will spoil the movie. But I'll, I'll we were on the on the right on the commentary. We'll, we'll credit you with the idea because it's a, like a major thing in the movie that you came up with about your character. Go on. No, I spoil it for everybody. Oh, fine. Yeah. All right. This is
0: the part where he takes the robe off and Stephen Ray realizes that he's a man the whole time, right? <laughs>
3: yes, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I
0: spoiler for everybody. We're going to watch one more clip, and, and then we're going to go on with some Here more comes questions. the <laughs> Any plans for
2: dinner at all? Tonight we will be partaking of a liquid repast as we wend our way up the Golden Mile, commencing with an inaugural tankard in the first post, then onto the old familiar, the famous cock, the cross hands, the good companions, the trusty servant, the two-headed dog, the mermaid, the beehive, the king's head, and the hole in the wall for a measure of the same, all before the last bittersweet pint in that most fateful terminus, the world's end. Leave a light on, good lady, for though we may return with a twinkle in our eyes, we will in truth be blind, drunk. The magic of the late, great Simon <laughs> Pegg.
3: <laughs> he will be missed. He will be Who missed. He died today whilst taping The Daily Show. It uh, I tragic. think
2: whenever you... You know, I've probably seen the film about ten times now. And whenever... I mean, a lot of the time we spend it looking at Martin Freeman, don't we?
3: Yeah. I think if you see this movie more than once, and you will, um, <laughs> <laughs> on the second think? watch, just watch Martin Freeman for the entire movie. Who's like the king, the king of trying to upstage the shot with some facial expression. He's, he's got amazing. some great reaction shots in there. Yeah, he's amazing. Oh, he's, right. he's amazing. Uh, I think it's pretty you safe. Know he's Bilbo, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bilbo in what movie? <laughs> the Hobbit. I think it's or Bilbo Unchained. I think it's. Called. <laughs> well, welcome to the Hobbit. <laughs> welcome to the boom bit. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say without giving anything away that
0: this movie is really a, about nostalgia and the pitfalls of nostalgia and not, not being able to, to move on. Um, and you, you guys, you, Simon, and Nick have been friends for, for 20 years. Uh, how have your, has your friendship changed? How's your professional relationships changed? And what's,
3: what's essentially stayed the same? I don't think our relationships have changed that much, really. I mean, once we got to know each other, me and Nick didn't really know each other before Spaced. So we became... I knew Simon before because I'd done a TV show before Space with Simon, but I got to know Nick during Space. But I don't feel like our working relationship has really changed. If anything, we're just more honest with each other. Yeah, I think that... Which
2: kind cuts a down a lot of time. 20-year relationship enables you to be very honest. And when you're making a film, uh, you know, that you've got to shoot in 12 weeks, otherwise you're ruined. You, The best thing... You, you need honesty and you need a shorthand. And, um, you know, I think... I think what this... What this film one of the kind of themes of this film is that the, the fact that relationships and friendships have to evolve and if they don't you get into a situation where you're like gary and the guys you know uh but i think a good relationship you never even realize it's evolving it just happens right uh, and i think that that's how not just in friendships but in marriages you have a certain amount of longevity and we've never even felt it changing i mean we still have fabulous sex um <laughs> sometimes Edgar wears a wig and I meet him in a hotel as if we're strangers just keep it fresh keep, yeah. it, fresh, yeah. we yeah. keep we, it
3: fresh we like to meet at the Mercer just around the corner yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it's a good, good times
3: good times uh, you guys yeah. started
0: working together in your 20s I know um, I know Simon would have been
3: 67 today had he yes had he lived yeah. and he you guys, it's very sad that he choked on one of his own tweets <laughs>
0: It just kind of amazes me that you guys, you know, 20 years after Shaun of the Dead are still doing stuff like this. 10 years after Shaun of the Dead. 10 years after Shaun of the Dead. 20 years after Spaced?
3: Um, no, How long no. it been?
0: I don't remember doing it, so. <laughs> Spaced is 14 years ago. Ah, uh, got it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about genre for a second, because you can technically say Shaun of the Dead is a zombie film, and you could say that Hot Fuzz is a, is a you know, a cop buddy film, and you could say this is an apocalypse film, a World's End film, without really giving that much away.
3: Uh, a sci-fi film.
0: A sci-fi film. Uh, it's very self-aware of its, the genre that it's in, but it never quite becomes like a parody or a pastiche. This isn't like an aer- airplane or a Mel Brooks film. Uh, so when you guys are writing this, and when you're on set, are there moments where
3: you're like, oh, this is a little too wink-wink, this is a little too self-aware? I think we try and iron that out in the script stage. Like, with Shaun of the Dead... Like, we gave ourselves rules, basically. It was, and one of them was, like, the zombies should never do anything funny. Like, the zombies should be scary, and it always should be the characters, and their reactions should be funny. And that was really because, like, I think sort of, you know, I think some of the early spoofs, especially the Mel Brooks ones, when you watch Young Frankenstein, it's obvious that he has great, great affection for, you know, that movie. But, you know, when you get to Spaceballs, which is, you know, it's pretty funny, but Mel Brooks clearly isn't a Star Wars fan. He's kind of just doing it because he thinks people would want to see it. And then when you get to the later spoofs of all of the kind of epic movies and, you know, when you see the scary movies, it's like they actively hate the movies. (laughs) So we always come from a point of passion. We never think of them as spoofs. And we treat them more like Valentines, that we're making the movies because we want to make a movie in that genre. So in a way... Like we would hope that Shaun of the Dead is is you know remembered as a zombie film or Hot Fuzz is remembered as a cop film, and that this you know this in a way like sort of we we came to the sci-fi element because it was an expression of how we felt about our hometown. It wasn't like we wrote the first half hour and then picked a genre out of a hat. It was something like Simon's character in the movie when he discovers that some kind of invasion may be afoot. This isn't too much of a giveaway, but he's actually happy about it because he's happier with that idea than he is with coming to terms with the fact that he's old or the the town might not have been that great in the first place. And in a very similar way for me and Simon, it's almost like a coping strategy of like that we have mixed feelings about kind of moving away and there's that kind of mix of guilt and kind of loss, but also the fact that you don't want to be there anyway. And it was something to—it's easier to kind of like sort of say, oh, my hometown's different because it's all aliens. You know? Well, of
0: course they would have remembered me. It just makes sense because the yeah. entire town's gone through this massive change.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly the thing. Is that I think there's uh, some people go through that experience where you you think when you go back that people will, that you'll get some kind of homecoming parade, and which never <laughs> happens. So that's kind of what happens to the, the them in the, in the movie is that like they they come back to to little or no fanfare. <laughs>
0: Here's what they come back to. We're going to roll the third clip.
2: Fuck's sake, Gary. Take her in. It's all right. I'm not trying to have sex with you. Why are we in the disabled toilets then? There's something I need to tell you right now. Unless you do want to have sex, in which case I'll tell you afterwards. Tell me right now. Have you noticed anything creepy about the twins, apart from the fact that they're twins?
3: Just because they're twins doesn't automatically make them creepy.
2: It does a little bit.
3: You had sex with them.
2: A, I did not. And B,
3: how did you know about
1: that? A, it's a small town. B, I'm not stupid. And C, they told me.
2: Right, well, I did once, but I was wasted, which was creepy because it was like there's four of them. I'm not proud of it. I am a
1: bit. Is this what you wanted to tell me?
2: No, this is. Yeah. <laughs> once again, it's very sad. the magic yes. of the late, great Simon A, a
3: moment of silence for Simon Pegg. He was killed by a sex-crazed Trekkie. <laughs> it was very, very sad. He
2: didn't make it through the pong Far. <laughs> You like that. Uh,
0: I was hoping there was more action in that sequence because uh, we need to talk about Nick Frost action hero. All the, all the Frost fans, let's call them Frost heads, shall we? Frosty choose. Frosty
1: choose.
0: It's beautiful. Very nicely That's done, sir. Uh, we've been waiting for the ultimate like action hero movie with you and I. I have think you? We yeah, we have. Sure. We're a sad lot. We don't get out much. Yeah. Uh, so. This delivers it. I don't think it gives anything away to say that this really delivers some beautiful action scenes. So let's talk a little bit about filming that.
2: Well, in preparing for Here Comes the Boom, uh, I was offered this... uh, Yeah, look, I mean, I was very fortunate, I think, that I did a dance film um, before this. Uh, So I had a week between wrapping that and beginning training for this. So in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of learning vast, complicated... Choreography, which is what these fights are. Uh, my brain was kind of switched onto it, and I'm just, you know, the, the physical side of it. I know a lot of you will probably laugh, but I'm a natural athlete, um, so I'm, you know, it, I, I, I relish it. I relish to go in on to go on set and 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 to, and to punch ten Hungarian stuntmen in a row. <laughs> uh, I'd do that for free, to be honest.
3: But it was only Hungarian because he'd already knocked out all the English ones. True fact.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a treat. I got to work with Brad Allen who does a lot of work with Jackie Chan and he's he's an amazing character and it's he kind of you know, I essentially would have just died on set for him uh,
3: as long as he was happy with it. Simon Peck, the late great Simon. Peck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean, you know, like uh, it it was great doing the fight scenes with these well, we we deliberately haven't like shown any of the fight scenes in clips because we want you to experience the full shock of like the action come August the 23rd, rated R for pervasive sexual language. Um, <laughs> but the thing that we did is that, um, is that we designed these fights and basically the stunt team, Brad Allen and this guy, if you've ever anybody's ever seen Damien Walters showreel on YouTube, but you must, Damien Walters, look it up on YouTube, incredible. They designed these fights, but what they had done first is evaluated all the actors to see their different skills. So we're in a really good position that everybody in the cast, including Simon Nick Martin, Paddy Considine, Eddie Marzan, Rosamund Pike, were all really good at the choreography. And that means that, you know, usually when you see an action film and it's like it's too cutty or they cut to wide shots and you can't see what's going on, that's because they're cutting around the fact that the actor can't do it or they're trying to hide the stunt double. And what's or won't in, do it. Or won't do it, yeah. So with this, what was really great is that, like, everybody was really game. They could do the choreography, which means that the fights are mostly shot in these unbroken takes. And it feels so much more exciting because you know the actors are doing it. So that was fantastic. I know
0: when we had talked earlier, we talked about uh, 28 Days Later and how it made such a difference that Danny Boyle had hired, like, track stars and, like, professional athletes to play the zombies. There's this incredible sense of menace when these, you know, buffed up sick guys are coming running at you. And I know you guys had hired a bunch of gymnasts and martial artists for the fight scenes for this, right?
3: Yeah, we wanted to, there's some of the, like there's a scene involving some teenagers. And uh, I'd done this scene in Hot Fuzz, which I'd ended up cutting out, where I'd done this fight with sort of kids and it hadn't really worked. So this time around I said to Brad, I said, can we get teenage stuntmen? And he said, yeah, you can get them from like circus schools or like um, gymnastics or some martial artists. So we had this kind of quintet of stuntmen that were- Stunt boys. Stunt boys from the ages of 15 to 21. When you see them in the movie, I mean, what's amazing in the scene is that they don't have any doubles. They do the entire thing. And it was just incredible because you're working with these, the main kid, uh, Greg, is 15. He turned 16 on the set and he was Chloe Moretz's stunt double for Hit Girl in Kick-Ass as a (laughs) 12-year-old boy dressed up as Hit Girl. So I don't want to ruin it for the, um, you know, like uh, people, but that is a, a boy and a girl in a in the hit girl costume. <laughs> but he's amazing, and it's just amazing doing these scenes that like make it so much more vivid and weird and scary. That there's these kids, and then on top of that, uh, you see that in the last, clip they were talking about the twins again. Like we hired these um, girls who were like basically rhythmic gymnastic uh, gymnasts and dancers, and they. Hadn't really done any acting, but like sort of, I I was audition them and I worked them up to kind of do the performance, and they'd never done a fight scene before. But what it gives it is a, is a is, is where you get away from that kind of stuntman feel. Sometimes in in action films, you know, if there's a big muscly waiter, you can bet any money that he's going to get kicked through a window because that's <laughs> the stuntman. But with this, is like we tried to find people that were very different looking. They had more like dancers' bodies, or whether they were like gymnasts, or like, you know, they're kind of skinny. And so when they start fighting, it's really surreal. Yeah, when they, when they kick into action, like, just watch out. Uh, you guys have talked
0: about this being the third film in the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy. So I'm going to give you guys a three-part question. Uh, Blood and Ice Cream, how did it get this name? Uh, two is there something that actually thematically connects all three films in this trilogy? And three, do you guys have a deal now where you get Cornetto for life?
2: Free of charge. Boy, if only. Um, what a dream. Right? Should we start with one?
3: Yeah, so one, I think what, what, I can answer was one and three at the same time. Like, uh, um, so... Basically, it came up as a joke because, like, uh, it's actually, we we call it, like, the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy because Cornetto is basically a brand of ice cream, much like a King Cone or a drumstick in the UK. And it's a very sort of, very, what, sorry? You're in the US. Uh, In the US, rather, yeah. So, uh, basically, in Shaun of the Dead, Nick asked for a Cornetto on a Sunday morning because it used to be my hangover cure when I was at college. Uh, So, we thought it was a funny thing to ask for on a Sunday. Then we... At the Shaun of the Dead premiere, they gave us free Cornettos. This was fucking amazing. Um, And, uh, you know, Michael Bay likes his, uh, you know, sports cars and racehorses, but I'm just happy with some ice cream. just want ice cream. Um, So then we wrote it into Hot Fuzz with the thought that me might get some more free ice cream. And at the Hot Fuzz premiere, there was no free ice cream. But but by then, it was too late. And then a journalist said, you have Cornettos in both your movies. Is this going to become a trilogy? And I said, yes. It's like Krzysztof Kowalowski's Three Colors trilogy. This is the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. And it was just a joke that stuck. So that's the silly answer. But the the genuine thing when we came to write a third movie is the things that do link the films is that they're all films about growing up and taking responsibility. They're all films about perpetual adolescence and the dangers of that. uh, About And they're all films about an individual versus a collective, so there are like deeper themes, but you know the ice cream is like a dessert
2: topping. Uh, I'd say different stages of male friendships as well.
3: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, judges will accept that. That's a fine (laughs) answer. (laughs) Uh, There seems to be a slew of movies dealing with either something apocalyptic, like a biblical prophecy or what have you, or. or like a, you know, a sort of post-apocalyptic landscape. Now, none of these films are The World's End, which comes out, I believe, August
3: 23rd. Yeah.
0: It out At a theater near you. The pervasive section
3: Like Great Simon <laughs> Pegg. <Peck. laughs> see
0: it for him, really. Just see it in tribute to him.
2: See
3: it for him. Uh, when, you, when you get onto Twitter after this, just say, hashtag pray for Simon. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that.
2: Don't do that. That's mean. It'll
0: be in the front of the Daily Mail tomorrow. <laughs> It'll be that. terrible. Uh, uh, so eventually getting back to my question uh what do you think it is about the apocalypse and the world's end and all these horrible things happening that that fascinates people not just filmmakers but audiences too because people people are
3: going to these movies i think there's a couple of things is i think um there's definitely a thing both with like sort of uh, the millennium y2k as far back as that even you know um you know other you know sort of uh obviously the mine was on people's minds. I do think, not to be too much of a bummer, I think there's... I always equate it to, like, there was a sort of change in genre films when the space race died, is that there were less... And I don't count Star Trek in that, because Star Trek is a, is a remake of a 60s kind of idealistic concept. But most kind of, like, after that, most science fiction and horror went inwards. The idea of actually going out there and meeting other races, pull apart, um, went away, you know. So I think that there's just a sort of, like... And it is kind of... Maybe a little bit depressing, but a, 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 a concentration on us destroying ourselves. <sighs> I know. Um, <laughs> we, we would like to claim that we... Uh, there's been a lot of apocalypse movies this year and a lot of movies of where the world gets destroyed, even in like non-apocalypse movies. But we think we have a true claim uh, to the Armageddon because the Mayans... Uh, this is absolutely true. The Mayans predicted the world would end on December the 21st, 2012. And the last day of the shoot of The World's End was December the 21st, 2012. True. So we think, basically, it was a mistake, right? Yeah,
2: we think what they were predicting was the end of principal photography (laughs) on The World's End. And we think that somewhere in the Smithsonian or the Natural History Museum in London, there is another tablet which fell off the original Mayan tablet. And if they got one of those... Air dusters. It would it would say in Mayan We predict the end of principal photography of the movie The World's End, rated and there's
3: R. A, f- a third tablet that says August twenty-third <laughs> for pervasive sexual. Like, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, it's kind of amazing. I I am lucky in that I get paid to see a lot of summer blockbuster, you know, big studio films, and I'm unlucky in that I have to go see a lot of studio blockbuster films. And because there's so many of these things that just feel like soulless, for lack of a better word. I mean, we can talk all the trash we want about Star Trek because Simon's not here.
3: Uh, but he just died. Sorry, room. I don't mean to speak. <laughs> but you know don't what? speak ill of the dead. Maybe
2: he's amongst us. Maybe he's all around us at this point. <laughs> right.
3: Maybe he's everywhere. You know? uh,
0: but what's amazing about this is is that it feels like a, the kind of summer blockbuster you would have seen in the 80s or even the early 90s, and that there's a real kind of soul to it. There's a real heart to it. So how do you balance those two things where you're making a movie in which there are fight scenes and explosions and things that are sort of otherworldly happening without kind of just making it a bunch of explosions and things go boom one after the other
3: you've just got to care about the characters and i think the thing is that we we write about the characters and their journeys even simon's character who like is sometimes the anti-hero in the movie it's like sometimes he almost becomes the villain of the piece for leading the friends into certain doom and nick kind of becomes the hero of sorts but we have compassion for all of the characters and we want all of the characters to be okay. So, and, you know, and when bad things happen like in Shaun of the Dead, it's not, like, played for laughs. When the mother dies in Shaun of the Dead, it's not played for laughs at all, you know. So I think that's the thing is if you care about the characters, I think the problem with a lot of movies is that, 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 you know, they feel kind of misanthropic because you're not people are dying and nobody really cares. It's, you like know? it's almost
0: like a means to an end. We need this character to get us from explosion A to explosion B. Yeah, we
3: need this character to die so the hero can avenge him and there's not really, you know, you can start to see the mechanics of it. So I think that's what's going to happen in the last couple of years is people kind of get completely wise to the, the beats and a lot of the summer movies this year have felt somewhat similar, you know?
0: Right. We're going to open it up to the audience questions. Uh, right here, up front. I'm a film student, so this is like I'm a huge fan. I've seen Shaun of the Dead like 50 times. But um, the question I was wondering about was um, mainly when it comes to script writing. With uh, Shaun of the Dead and with Hot Fuzz, there's a lot of um, things that are hinted at towards the beginning of the film that then pay off towards the end. And I was curious how much thought that goes into that when you're writing the script and and how much of that carried over into The World's End.
3: There's a lot of it in The World's End. I mean, the first 40 minutes of, like maybe before the sci-fi kicks in, like pretty much every other line is is somehow hinting at things that are gonna happen later. Now, not all of that you might get on a first watch, but we, we sort of, me and Simon are always inspired by movies, like a favorite movie of ours is Raising Arizona, which is a movie that when I saw it the first time, my immediate response was like, I love that, I need to see it again. And then I think I watched it about six times on VHS until I felt like I'd seen everything. So we really like that idea of doing foreshadowing and like omens that predict something that's going to happen in the movie. There's a lot of it in Shaun of the Dead and in Hot Fuzz. Um, and then this, it really comes along in the story stage. In this one, we actually had like, we knew that there was going to be a quest. We knew it was going to be 12 bars and we knew the last pub was going to be the world's end. And then once we figured out what was going on in each bar, then we started naming the pubs after like what happens in the scene and they're all real pub names but they're supposed to be like tarot cards. Because I always look at those pub signs and they're usually like, the name of the pub is a lot fancier than the sort of the, the shitty bar itself. <laughs> so I thought, well, what if it's like, these are omens? These are like, it's like tarot cards. So if you um, like, you know, if you watch the movie with some of the like names you can figure out, some of them are a bit more subtle than others, but some of them are, you know, will tell you something that's gonna happen in the scene. Even if you watch the movie and watch the first five minutes of the movie, There's a lot of, like, kind of predictions of people's fates and other things that are coming. So we love to put all that stuff in. So I think we like to kind of, like, that, you know, that people might watch the first, like, 35 minutes and be enjoying it for, like, a Friends Reunited comedy. But then when they see it the second time, they can go, oh, ah, ah, you know. When you
2: see it at the second time at the theatre, you'll get a lot of those things.
3: Wait a second you've got to see it three times one time to enjoy it one time to enjoy it second time to see all the, and then you've got to watch the Martin Freeman version so that's yeah. three times at the cinema August the 23rd 24th 25th rated R
1: um, if you were going to do another three flavors trilogy oh what food item would you want it to be and what genres would they correspond with
3: how many different Doritos are there why are you looking at me <laughs> I don't know Pringles? <laughs> Pringles. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're sort of like... We, we, there, in, in reality, there are more than three flavors of Cornetto. Now um, there are. Now there are. There used to only be three, and we're going to stick to that. I think we're, we're done with the ice cream after this one. I think one.
2: Cornetto are really really riding us for everything they can get, essentially. <laughs> I think the sales of Cornetto went up 280,000% on, on the week of release.
1: Be, be a penny, not penny. <laughs>
2: Uh, I think we shot ourselves in the foot by not making the three colours Maserati trilogy, <laughs> hoping that maybe they'd give us some product placement.
3: Um, yeah, I think we we want to make more movies together, but I think you know, uh, like th- this this definitely exists as a trilogy. So, unlike Douglas Adams, there won't be a fourth and fifth in the trilogy. I don't think.
0: Uh, that gentleman right there. <laughs>
1: Go, man. Go, Thank go. you.
0: Um uh, massive fan of both of you guys. Um just for um Edgar, um I just want to see where your um really fast cutting and um kind energetic filmmaking came from such as you know in Space and the Trilogy and um Scott Pilgrim. So I want to see what uh, directors or films kind of inspired you to
3: get to that style.
1: <sighs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of different. <laughs> I think a lot of different people like I guess I guess I sort of like films that are visually more dense, but it's quite a diverse like list of filmmakers that inspire me like You know, Scorsese does some amazing, like, fast-cutting, like, in in Taxi Driver and, like, Goodfellas and, um, you know, Sam Raimi and um, the Coen brothers, I think, sometimes. I mean, more in their early work, actually, not in all of them. They're usually quite stately. But I don't know. I just would sort of gravitate towards films that were, like, visually very dense. And um, I I like that aspect.
2: That was shorter than
1: I imagined. (laughs) Hi. Hello. By the way, this is Miracle. I'm a huge fan of you know you uh, and Simon too, but I'm sorry, he's gone now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all miss him. Yes, I miss him too. I get everybody. Yeah. <laughs> by the way I have It'd a It'd be a miracle if he's yes. still alive. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy you know. By the way, I have a you know, question for both. First Nick, you are so funny always. <laughs> I love your Star Wars <laughs> shirt, by the way. The what? I love your Star Wars oh, shirt. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, that's great. But anyway, you're always funny, or you're you're funny in their life, or you're acting funny?
2: Um, I don't know, I mean, one more one more. I think that the only person I try to make laugh is the only person who doesn't make find me in the least bit funny, and that is Mrs. Frost. <laughs> okay. uh, I think the thing that keeps our marriage alive is the fact I've spent 12 years banging my fucking head against a brick wall trying to make her laugh, and she just doesn't find me funny, and it, <laughs> it drives me bonkers, and it... And a little bit horny.
1: Yeah, uh,
2: so I you know, I think I've always naturally been fairly funny. Okay. Uh, and now Edgar and Simon I haven't finished. Yeah. Edgar and Simon oh, hell, yeah. have harnessed that and, and unleashed it on the, the world. I radar. have a
1: question to Edgar. Uh, by the your movies always great, you know? You never make bad movies. But I have, I have a question. You use all jokes, you know, same jokes over and over again. You know, Simon jumped, you know, would he, you know, uh, <laughs> hedge, then he fell. Who came up with that idea? Then why you repeat the o- joke over and over again? By the uh, I love it. I want to see it again, you know, that joke. Um, the
3: ne- if we do a fourth one, in the, if we do the kind of the fourth one, it's just going to be fence jumping for 109 <laughs> minutes. Um, I don't know. I'm not quite sure where that came from other than the... Um, I think I used to, when I used to like walk to school when I was a little kid, my, the, my r- route to school was always through the back of gardens, you know, like an alleyway in the middle of gardens. So I would always like kind of like sort of, uh, you know, think about like taking shortcuts and going on a little adventure <laughs> through other people's gardens. And I like a lot of garden, there's a lot of good garden chases in films. I know why I'm particularly obsessed with that. There's a good one in Raising Arizona, there's a good one in Point Break. Uh, there's a great the the film The Swimmer is all about breaking it's through nothing but that. it's nothing but that so I think I'm slightly garden obsessed I have never tried to jump over a fence myself and maybe like I'm trying to live vicariously through Simon you should try it maybe I'll try it maybe I'll try and it's vault easy, over easy a fence no the I night, mean the night's young yeah but, but weirdly we nearly didn't do the fence jump in World's End like because we thought we'd already you subverted that, it in, in Hot fars. And then we came up with a, an idea of how to do it. So, you know, I don't know. It's, but I think this is the last fence jump in this one as well. Two more yeah. questions.
0: Uh,
2: right there. Uh, I think that you're next. We need a lady. We haven't had a lady. I, I got a quick question for Nick. Sounds weird. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So when you're making movies with Simon, do you ever feel like you're in competition to try and make the funniest or most badass scene? Like, is there a competition to see who can upstage the other person? Um no never. Uh you know it's 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 about what's good for the film. It's not about what's good for Simon and I and I think that helps with 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 the roles that we play too. I never look at the script and think, "Why am I the fucking sidekick again?" You know, it's 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 about what what is best for the story. And you know, I I don't mention sidekicks in an Apple store. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the late great Simon Pig, so any chance <laughs> that I get to watch him be funny is a treat for me as well, you know. I think, for me, I have two parts of my brain when I'm on set acting. I have the part which is flicking through the Rolodex of dialogue, saying okay, let's, let's say that now. Uh, this one's next. And you say it. And then there is the other part, which is free roaming, which is looking at Simon and Paddy Considine and saying, this is fucking great, look at this. Uh, so you have to try and separate those two. But as I said, I'm a fan. I like watching him do comedy. I like watching him be funny. And even though he's funny as, as hell in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, being the central character, the central character's not necessarily always the, the, the you know, the balls-out funniest character. Um, so to get a chance to watch him be this guy for, for 110 minutes rated R, is a, an absolute treat for me. So no, uh, to answer your question, there's never
3: any one-upmanship. But if there is a competition, Nick has won because uh, Simon's dead and he's alive. Right. <laughs>
0: it's gone too soon, gone too soon. <laughs> uh, last question, the young lady right over there.
1: Hi there, thank you. Uh, I would ask a question for the both of you and maybe Simon, but he's dead. Uh, But all your movies uh, together, and maybe Edgar's separately, have been beautifully casted. Everybody was perfect for the role. And what is your process in finding these folks? Did you have them in mind as you were writing the characters? Like, not Nick necessarily, since he's defaulted. I think. I think in all of (laughs) the. I think
3: in all of the movies, it's a mix. It's like there's people that you write for. Uh, that you you get like I think in Shaun of the Dead like it was obviously written for Nick and Simon Pete Ravanovich we wrote with that part with him in mind and then there are people that you weren't previously aware of like it's it's crazy to think because he's such a well loved actor now but back in 2003 Bill Nye wasn't that big an actor like he was just on the cusp of breaking through and I actually had another actor in mind and then Eric Fellner said oh you should meet Bill Nye and then I met him and he was amazing and like. He's incredible. And then, like, he's in, you know, the other movies. Uh, and the same thing with this is, that sort of, there are people that, like, um, we wrote a part for Martin Freeman. We wrote a part for Paddy Considine. We wrote a part for Eddie Marzan, But then Rosamund Pike was somebody that, like, um, was suggested to us, and we met her, and she's amazing, and now she's part of the family. So it's a mix of people that you... Um, what's funny, in Hot Fuzz, like, um, sometimes you get forced to kind of go with, like get forced to offer it to bigger actors that are probably going to say no and you can't afford anyway. And James. And, <laughs> and with, with, with Hot Fuzz, like, we had written into the description of like Simon Skinner a Timothy Dalton type. But then weirdly, we were asked to kind of like, had to go to a couple of other people. And when they passed, it was like, can we finally go to Timothy Dalton? The part that it was written for him. And then, of course, he's in the movie. So that's great, you know. So it's, it's, it's a mix. And it's always like nice. There's a, you know, like... There's lots of people that I knew already who were in this other, like, if you watch a lot of British comedy, there's a lot of faces that you'll recognize, like Reese Shearsmith, Mark Heap from Space, Julia Deacon that you saw, Alice Lowe, who in the f- and Steve Orham that were in the film Sightseers, like, a executive produced. Um, but, then, but then, you know, like, to work with these, like, stunt kids who were just, like, incredible. That, that's the surprises and the things that you come away just, like, what an amazing experience, like, somebody that I would have never met this person if it wasn't for this script, you know.
0: I'm going to shoehorn one question, one last question in. When is The World's End out, and what is it rated?
3: <laughs> I think it's what, August 23rd. I think it's August 23rd, yeah. And it's rated R. Rated R.
2: Hard R. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for Thank having you. Us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.